All right, we are in the last week of this armor series. Um, this, I, I think this, this series has uh, done a lot. I think it's taught us a lot about how to take steps towards our victory. We know that we're at war. We know there's a war happening for our souls, but we know that we can win. Um, and we've been learning about the steps to victory, the armor that we have to put on in order to have victory. And today we are on the last one. We've made it, and this is a very, very important one. Um, We're going to be in three passages of Scripture today, Ephesians chapter 6, Matthew chapter 4, and Mark chapter 11. Let's go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 6 for the last time in this series. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. All right, before we really get into anything, um, this is something we haven't really talked about yet, and this just kind of stood out to me this week. In verse 13, it says, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand our ground. This is very interesting that the Bible talks about this uh, because that means we're standing in the place that God wants us to be standing. He's not saying you need, to, you need to keep advancing. He's not saying you need to keep retreating. He's saying right where you are is where you need to be. The reason this is interesting is because as, as we've been talking about, we're fighting for victory, but what we've also been talking about is that Jesus already won the victory. So we're actually fighting for the manifestations of victory in our life. We know we already win. We have the book. We know the end of the story. But we're fighting to see the victory in our lives. We're we're fighting to see anxiety be gone. We're fighting to see us seeing a change in our lives. We're not fighting for victory. We're actually fighting from victory. We're standing with victory and fighting. So this is an important thing to note. We've already won. It's not like if one day you forget to wear the shoes of peace that, oh, well, you're just just done. You're gone. No, that's not it. We've already won. We're just fighting to see it manifested in our lives. So it says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and it also says you need to take up the sword. Again, we talked about take up. The first three pieces of armor say, You always need to be wearing this. You always need to be having these things. And then the last three say, take up. It's almost on an as-needed basis. When this is happening, make sure you take it up. When this is happening, make sure you take up the sword of the Spirit. This is the only offensive weapon that's in the armor. He doesn't ever say, take off your helmet and throw it at the enemy. No, this is the only one. It's the sword. It's what you fight with. Everything else is protective. This one is for fighting. And it's not, that's very important, and we should know that's important. 
but that's not it. It's also the weapon that the Spirit fights with. It's the sword of the Spirit. And so what Jesus did is when he died, you know, he says he left, we get his Spirit. And that's the way that he fights. So we're fighting in the spiritual realm, which is what we've talked about. There's a war. We're fighting in the spiritual realm with the same weapons that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are fighting in the spiritual realms. That's important. We really need to know what that is because otherwise we don't know what we're doing. We have no idea. This is the weapon that the Spirit himself uses, and it says it's the Word of God. Now, in English, we have... English is a very hard language to learn. I don't know if you know this, but like there, there, and there, two, two, and two, impossible. It is impossible to learn. I was, when I was overseas, I would like try and have conversations about English, about the language. And it's like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what this is. I have no idea. English is very, very confusing. Greek is more confusing <laughs> than English, which is saying something. And in the Greek, there is three different words for the word, word. I could not have worded that more poorly just now. <laughs> I could not do it if I tried. There's three, I guess that's the only way to say it. Are you understanding? There's three different words that they use to mean the word, word. Word. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on first? Yeah. Okay. So, we're going to go over these three because it's important to know what he's talking about here. There's one that's graphe. That means the physical Bible itself. That is this. This is graphe. Just the book is graphe. So, what that means, and that this is not what he's talking about here. Believe it or not, he's not talking about the book itself. Because you can own a Bible and not use it as a sword. You, can, you walk into most hotels, there is a Bible there. The people that are going there are not using it as a sword, probably. Probably not all the time. You can work at family Christian bookstore and not use a sword. You can own a Bible store and not use a sword. That's not what he's talking about. Graphe is the actual book itself. Simply owning a Bible doesn't mean that you're using a sword. The second one is logos, which that is the message inside the Bible. That's the gospel. This is the good news. It's the words. It's the verses. That's not what he's talking about here either. That's not the Greek word that's used. Logos. We don't fight with logos. We don't fight with graphe. The word that we fight with, in the Greek, what this is originally written in is rhema. Rhema is the word that is listed in Ephesians chapter 6. And rhema means utterance, U-T-T, not like cows, but utterance, utterance. It means the repeating, the, the, the spoken word of the logos, of the actual message that's in here. It is the speaking verbally, physically, of what's in here. It's uttering the message of the Logos that's given by the graphe. All right? That's the best way to put it. That's what Rhema is, and that's what it's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. 
it says, pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the repeating of the words of God, verbally, out loud, in a physical way, repeating it. And this is the same, this is the same weapon that the Holy Spirit uses. It's the same weapon that Jesus uses. We're going to go into this. This is going to be uncomfortable. Let me tell you, this is not one that's just a comfortable one that like, oh, I, I need to walk in peace. I need to walk in peace. That's hard, but at least it's not like something physical that you're having to do, like I'm 10, jump, 10 piece jumping jacks. No, this is a physical thing that you have to do. This is our weapon. This is how we win. It's declaring the word of God with your mouth. It's the utterance of the word of God. How many of you know that our words have power, right? Your words have so much power. I'm going to read one of my favorite. This is Mark chapter 11, if you want to turn there. One of my favorite and one of the most hilarious passages of Scripture you're ever going to find. Mark chapter 11. What verse did I say? Chapter, verse 12. There it is. <coughs> then the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus is hungry. Jesus is fully man, and he's hungry. Okay? I like that. I like that Jesus gets hungry. Seeing, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. We're going to stop. Jesus is about to be hilarious. This is, this is hilarious. So Jesus is hungry, and he sees a tree that has no figs on it. Why he would choose figs, who knows? That's gross. But he sees the fig tree. It's not fig season. It's not fig season. Okay? It's not supposed to have figs. But he walks up anyways, just, I guess just hopeful that there's going to be some figs here. But there's no figs. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. There's a word called hangry, where, yeah, where you are so hungry that you get angry. I, I think it's a physical condition that I have. Like it, Jesus, walks, Jesus walks up to a tree that is not supposed to have fruit, wrong season, walks up to it, it doesn't have fruit, shocker, not supposed to, and he curses it, and he says, you will never bear fruit again. Okay, skip a few verses, and now we're in verse 20. In, <laughs> in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered this and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you have cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. That is just hilarious. There is no other word to describe. Jesus is so hangry that he curses a tree that was, the tree didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't its season. Curses the tree. They walk by the next day. Tree is completely dead. Just 100% dead. Your words have power. When Jesus died, he said, I'm leaving with you my spirit. That same spirit killed a tree, and we have it. We have that much power in our words. Now, if you walk up to a fig tree and you start yelling at it, 
I don't know that you're using it correctly. I don't know that that's really the reason that you have the Spirit of God, but it's there. We have the same Spirit that Jesus did, and Jesus had that Spirit to kill a tree. He had that much power, literal power of life and death. The Bible says our tongues, our words, have the power of life and death. Literally, they are that powerful. And Jesus just said something to a tree. It's not like he poisoned it. I mean, he didn't like start, you know, hacking at it with an axe. No, he just walked up, said it was done, and it stopped. The tree died. Also, Genesis 1. How did Jesus create everything? It wasn't magic potion. He wasn't like sitting like, like that kind of thing. He spoke it. He said, let this be, and it happened. That's the same spirit that we have. God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, same spirit that was left to us. The same power that created the heavens and the earth with words, that killed a tree with words. That's the same spirit that was left and that was given to us when Jesus died. He spoke it and it happened. Us carrying our swords looks like us declaring the word of God. And that means it is happening. Jesus didn't say, let there be light and then wait years and light happened. He said, let there be light and there was light. That's what the Bible says. Let there be light, there was light. Jesus cursed the fig tree, fig tree is dead. That's the power that we have in our, in our words. It's not hoping that something's going to happen. It's not speaking out loud the word of God, hoping something's going to happen. It's speaking it, knowing it's going to happen. Because the Bible is all truth. God didn't create the heavens and the earth and sit and hope and wish and, you know, just... No, it would be cool if that happened. It would be cool if there was light. No, he said there's going to be light, and there was light. And that's the same power that we have in our words. And now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, where we're going to camp out the rest of the day. Not the rest of the day. You know what I mean. (laughs) Long sermon today. No. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. This is some ways that the enemy is going to attack Jesus, and how does he fight? We're going to see. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Let's stop right there. That's a weird sentence. Jesus is led by the Spirit to be tempted. The reason Jesus went was to be tempted. We talked about this before. Sometimes God uses the enemy to complete his plans because God, ultimate ruler, can use anything he wants. And so he's trying to grow. He's trying to teach. Sometimes you fight battles that aren't for you. They're for other people. And so Jesus goes to be tempted by the enemy. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. Man, (laughs) Jesus, eat some food. Quit getting so hungry. The tempter came to him, tempter, the enemy, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. We're going to stop there again just for a second. Jesus was tempted by what he was looking for. Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. I can't go 45 minutes maybe without having something in my mouth. I'm always hungry. Jesus is 40 days. 
He's starving. And what does the enemy do? Hey, you can make this into bread, can't you? He's already testing him by what he's looking for. The enemy is going to test you in ways because it's what you're looking for. He's going to offer you things that might bring you a temporary happiness, might bring you temporary fulfillment because that's what he does. He knows you. He's good at this. He's been doing this for a while. So when you're, when you're looking for something, when you're searching for something, make sure you're guarding your mind like we talked about last week. Make sure you're reading the truth. Make sure you're running everything under the light of God's word because the enemy knows when to attack you. He knows when and how to tempt you and get after you. The tempter came and said, Turn, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus' response he doesn't, he doesn't punch the devil in the face. He doesn't like drop kicking. He says, it is written. And then he quotes scripture. He quotes the Old Testament. It is written. And then Deuteronomy 8. We keep going. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written. Now the enemy. The enemy is using scripture. But he's twisting it around. He's making it not the truth. He's, he's, he's taking it out of context. This, the word of God is true. It has ultimate truth, and it cannot be translated for your situation and what you're walking through. There's a lot of this happening right now. People just morphing the, the word of God to make it believe whatever they, make it like uh, confirm whatever they want it to mean. No, this thing has truth. But, but the enemy tries to twist it around, for it is written, he will, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in your hands so that, they, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Then Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord your God to the test. Jesus, again, second time, fights back with Scripture. Second time, verbally, Rhema speaks the word of God while the enemy is coming after him. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. The Bible calls Jesus the living word, the living word of God, the manifested word of God. If the living word of God needed the spoken word of God to defeat the enemy of God, how much more do we need it? The living word of God had to speak out the word of God so that he could beat the enemy of God. How much more do we need it? Are we better fighting than Jesus? Absolutely not. We are not. No chance. Am I stronger than Jesus? No. Is my faith stronger than Jesus? No. Jesus was perfect. He was perfect, no sin. The enemy still tempted him. How did he fight? With the word of God. The speaking of the word of God. The utterance, the rhema of the word of God. We're not better than Jesus. We need it. We need this. So when the enemy started speaking things to him, now in this case, this is a tangible presence. Like, Jesus and the devil are like walking together, okay? Whoa, that's creepy. That's not what happens to us. Us is a thought. 
us is an opportunity that comes up that seems like something's fishy about it, but we don't really know. And when these things come up, what we do is we kind of run a little scan in our mind. A scan in our mind. What, is the Bible, what does the Bible have to say about this? What does the Word of God have to say about this? What does Jesus say about this in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the God? What does he say? And then you don't just read it and think about it. and like, oh, that's cool. Why? Because your words have power. Your words have power. And you say, no. When the enemy comes in and he says, hey, uh, God's plans for you actually are kind of bad. My plans are better. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to think his way is better. And he's going to come and he's going to say, yeah, my plans are better. What do we do? We don't just sit and just wallow in that, just, okay, cool. No, we fight back with the way that Ephesians tells us to, the rhema of God. We fight back and we say, no, actually the Bible says that his plans are for me and he's never against me, that his plans turn everything beautiful. That's how we fight, verbally, physically speaking out the word of God. Jesus didn't just know it. He didn't just study it. He didn't just read it. He spoke it. He physically spoke the truth. He always responded with, it is written. He basically, he looked at Satan. He said, hey, hey Satan, I know you're saying this, but this is what God told me to tell you about this. This is what God told me to tell you. He can't do anything about that. He, can't, he cannot Win when you're quoting all truth and when you say all truth. How much more do we need to do this if this is what Jesus did? Jesus didn't get to this place with the enemy and say, oh, actually, all my friends are saying this. So, no, he didn't do that. He didn't say, oh, I was actually reading on Facebook the other day and I saw this. I don't know. No, he didn't even say, he didn't say like, oh, Mary and Joseph said this, my parents said this. No, he said, it is written In the truth, the truth says this. And then what happened? The devil left because the devil cannot stand against truth. He cannot stand with truth. He has to leave. If you're wondering, man, why is is the enemy not leaving me alone? Why does all this stuff keep happening? Why does my mind feel like this? You're not saying it's written. You're not sitting and saying, this is what is the truth. This is what God is saying. Verbally, physically, again, I know this one feels weird. This one feels uncomfortable. When you're driving in the car and you have thoughts, it's kind of weird to talk to yourself. But you'll find it's very freeing. (laughs) It's fun. But this is the weapon that Jesus tells us we need to use, the declared word of God, because our words have power. Our, Our words and our thoughts don't have any good when they're bottled up inside of us. It can't do anything when it's inside. As soon as it comes out, the enemy hears it and has to leave. He has to. He can't stand with it. He left Jesus alone. Jesus is the one that he needed to get the most. But as soon as Jesus started saying Scripture, he had to leave. He left him alone. So just as we wrap up, there's just a few things about the, the word of God that we need to know so that we can make sure we're ready. I'm not even, we don't even have time to turn to all these different places, but I'll give you the references and you can look them up later. Second Peter 1, 20 through 21. It says, the word of God is God breathed. 
Okay? Man did write the Word of God, but it said that God, Holy Spirit, and man all partnered and wrote down what God was saying. So the Word of God, number one, is God-breathed. The second one, John 17, 17, Jesus is talking, and He says, the Word of God is truth. So we know the Word of God is God-breathed, and the Word of God is truth. It doesn't say a lot of what's in there is true, and it doesn't say this is half the truth. It says it is the truth. Everything in here is the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 talks about all the different ways, all the different things that the Bible does for you and for your life. The Bible is God-breathed, it is all truth, and it's for you. It is for you. And lastly, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says it never falls. The Bible is God-breathed, it's all truth, it's for you, and it will never fall. It talks about the grass dies, the flower fades, but the word of the God, but the word of God remains and stands forever. This is what we're declaring out loud. This is the reason we have to speak it out. Because it's God breathed, it's all truth, it's for you, <coughs> and it will never fall. Again, I believe this is one of the hardest ones to do. I really do. But I'm going to tell you a personal story of how I feel like this has affected me. Um, a while back, there were like some mental battles that I was facing, like the anxiety that we've talked about, like the worry that we've talked about. You know, and it wasn't even necessarily about anything. Sometimes you just have anxiety for anxiety's sake. It's just there. And I was having these thoughts, and so I went to church and I talked to somebody and I said, I don't know what to do about this. And they responded by handing me these little cards. Uh, and these little cards just had what we call truth declarations. Had truth declarations on them that came from Scripture. Had the references next to them. And so what I started doing, and I am still doing today, every day, is I keep them in my car. And when I'm driving, when I'm driving, the first place I go in the morning, I probably shouldn't say that. That's probably bad to read and drive. I'm sitting completely still, not moving. And I pull, these, I pull these things out, and I read them. And it says stuff like, I know God's plans are for me. And then it has the thing. It has the, has the verse. And then it talks about blessings on my health. The Bible says that all foods are allowable, but not all foods are profitable. I only choose profitable foods. It's declarations that I'm saying about me. It talks about finances. It talks about friends. It talks about the church. It talks about marriages. It talks about all of these things. And literally, all I do is sit and speak out the word. It's the truth. It's already been written. But I'm speaking it specifically for me, specifically for my life. And the way that it changed my mind, the way it changed my thoughts, the way it even changed my habits. I know I talk about also burritos a lot. I don't eat them that much anymore. I really don't. I've started to eat healthier because I have started to read it. Corn planter, you better watch it. <laughs> He said, what? <laughs> but this happened because I was declaring the word of God, and it was happening. It started happening. The word of God is truth, and when we speak it, it can begin to happen. 
Jesus walked up to the tree and cursed it, and it, and it died. God created heavens and earth by saying, let it be. We have that same power in our words. I have some of those truth declaration things. I would love to email those to you or send them to you. If you're interested, you can come grab them from me. Again, I know that this is a hard one, but I think this is imperative to our faith. I believe it's imperative not just to your faith, but to seeing real tangible victory in your life. I believe this is, this is the key. Speaking out physically the truth of God's word. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and we are so thankful that you do give us the keys and the steps to victory. We don't have to live in defeat. We don't have to live in hell on earth. We can live in victory and in the victory that you won on the cross. Father, I pray that this series that we've been doing these last six weeks, I pray that it would sink in deep and in a new way. I pray that, that none, of, none of your words would return void, that everything would stick Everything would do what it was supposed to be done. Lord, we just love you, and we're so thankful that you died on the cross to give us the victory. In Jesus' name, amen.